the best units, whether commercial or military, are the ones where everyone in the unit is aligned around what we're trying to accomplish and believes so much in the team and the mission is that they're willing to give that extra one, two, three percent to get it done. What is good, everybody? This is Michael Zakhan, founder and CEO of Our Future. We're the go-to business podcast and media brand for Gen Z, producing the best business interview content on the internet for young people. And today I have a pretty epic interview for you with the one and only Dr. Mike Barger. Dr. Barger began his career flying FA-18 Hornet fighter jets in the US Navy, serving as chief instructor at the Navy Fighter Weapons School, also known as Top Gun. Yes, featured in the legendary Tom Cruise movie. In 1999, Dr. Barger went on to be a co-founder of JetBlue Airways, helping to start the Maverick airline and disrupt the airline industry before becoming a professor at his alma mater at my very own University of Michigan, where he oversees digital education at the Ross School of Business. Let's dive into this epic combo. The question I like to ask all these incredible leaders I bring on my show, Mike, is when you were my age, when you were 21 years old, kind of what did you see for yourself? You were a student at the University of Michigan studying economics and psychology, pretty much in the same boat that I am. You know, you I'm doing business at Ross. Like kind of what did you see for your future? Yeah, so uh, so I was at uh, LSA uh, back then in the in the early '80s. So I'm an old guy. Uh, I was already a pilot, so I had uh, been doing some teaching uh, in airplanes. I had a sense that I was going to end up in a career around airplanes. For me, the bigger question was: Is it a kind of an airline career kind of thing, or is it a military uh, opportunity? And and the airline industry wasn't doing so great in the uh, the early '80s. So uh, sitting down with my dad, who was a, a career pilot from World War II and then in the airlines, wow. we decided that it would be more fun for me and a better experience to go ahead and fly, uh, you know, high performance aircraft for a while. So uh, so signed up with the Navy and uh, joined the Navy right after school and never looked back. It was just great. Yeah, you were in the Navy during the Gulf War. Were you? I was. That was my first deployment on. Uh, you were flying. Yes, I was. Yep. Wow. So yep. mostly surveillance. It wasn't, you know, no, no dog fights or anything. Any? Uh, no, there was very little dog fighting going on in uh, Desert Storm. Uh, but uh, forty missions in forty days. Uh, all of them, almost all of them, strike missions. So you know, lots of bombing kinds of missions. Very and surgical. So so our our missions in the F eighteen were generally, um, you know, pretty uh, pretty precise kinds of targeting missions to to kind of disable strategic forces from, you know, from the opposition. So lots of, you know, radar facilities that we would, you know, that we would take out or, you know, mobility facilities, those kinds of things. So how did it feel to be able to operate one of these vehicles? I mean, they're the most extreme vehicles available on the planet. Yeah. I mean, what was it like? I mean, just being in them, like, was it fun? I mean, I'm sure you, it was extremely, prof it's an extremely professional job, right? But yeah. the fun factor the military has figured out, I think, better than any organization on the planet how to 
set up individuals to get the most learning they can from practice, from training, from from trial and error. Um, When you find yourself actually executing for real in a combat situation, you know, most of my colleagues would say, uh, no, of course, it's not fun. Uh, It's uh, a little scary, I guess, maybe, but you're so focused on the mission, on the teamwork, on the objectives, on the kind of the threats and your defense fences that it's just it's very businesslike it's just you just you have yeah very specific objectives and you are so focused on them that you know most of the missions you don't really even think about the risk until you're back on the ship after or back on your land base after and then you think wow that was that was kind of crazy we got shot at a lot there but uh we're all back here all right so i like discussing military to business applications, okay? Yeah. I had Socrates Rosenfeld on, one of the early guests of my podcast, who flew Apaches in Iraq and then became the founder of the world's largest cannabis online e-commerce site, which is a very interesting story. And then yep. I interviewed the, the fine gentleman um, at Bell Helicopter uh, discussing some of the technologies they're developing for the military that they hope will impact the consumer world. And it did. Like the Huey, that was such an interesting conversation how the Huey in Vietnam, you know, and then it became the Coast Guard's chopper and the fire and the police. It's it's great. But those are more of technological applications. Let's talk about kind of uh, business leader learning and principal application. So yep. out of the military, you became a, a founding member of JetBlue. I mean, how did you find yourself in like, what's the story behind you coming into JetBlue? And could you also talk about why there was a room in the market for JetBlue at the time? Because I believe I listened to Neilman's podcast about how it started. But what was the story as to why there was room in the market for JetBlue to come in? So my brother, Dave, uh, who uh, pretty much uh, uh, funded the Barger Leadership Institute, the University of Michigan. So within the organizational studies group, there's a there's a Barger Leadership Institute. That was uh, that was him. He was like me, a Michigan undergrad uh, grad. Uh, He. He went on to be an operational leader at Continental Airlines. So he is a few years older than me. Um, his eyes weren't very good, uh, so he couldn't do the pilot side of aviation. But since we grew up in an aviation family, you know, mom was a stewardess, dad was a pilot. Remember back in the days where you could call them stewardesses and not get in trouble for it? So that's, you know, that's how our our parents uh, met and then got married. Um, so we grew up in an airline family, Dave on the kind of airport management side, me on the pilot side. So we always followed each other's careers pretty closely and were fairly tight growing up. And then uh, about the time I was getting ready to leave the Navy and go to business school, which is what I wanted to do, uh, I got a note from my brother Dave while I was deployed off of Kosovo, by the way. So we were out, uh, my carrier was off of uh, Kosovo. And the email was my first of three cruises with uh, with email. So the first two cruises, we didn't have any of this email thing. We had just satellite phones. So that's how old I am. No email uh, before that. Um, I got a note from my brother that said this David Nielman guy stopped by his office at the time my brother was running Newark for Continental Airlines. And Nielman said, uh, hey, Barger, I want you to be our president and chief operating officer for this new airline I'm starting. Doesn't have a name yet. Uh, And my brother said, well, you know, my my brother uh, is a, a flight instructor and pilot and uh, and a you know strategic thinker and planner, and so maybe all three of us should get together. So that's how 
I got connected with them. My brother and I had wanted to do something together. It just so happened this uh, JetBlue thing fell in his lap. He sent me a note. We That's got awesome. together in uh, Marseille, France, and poured over the business plan and decided to get in the company together. So that's wow. how that's how we started. I just want to throw out a quick shout out for our sponsor, Verb Energy. Verb Energy was started by three Yale University students who sought to invent the ultimate pocket-sized pick-me-up. Since starting, they've raised over 5 million bucks to become a household name in the world of energy products. With 65 milligrams of caffeine, Verb Energy bars provide jitterless energy with no crash because they're based entirely on organic green tea, always snacking on these in the morning, mix my breakfast with my energy. It's kind of a deal, it's kind of a swap. They taste amazing. Come in delicious flavors like double chocolate, vanilla latte, and peppermint mocha. So hit the link in the bio to get a starter pack of Verb Energy. You, the listener, can get them for just 12 bucks. Just $12, $12, dollars $12, 50% off with our unique link in bio. Check it out. Try these bars, support the podcast, you know how it goes. Let's do a double. Okay, back to the show. What was the room in the market for JetBlue? Like, why did it make sense, right? You have I think Continental was around back then. You had yep. Delta. You had American. Yep. Um, why? Why? Why was there room for this this airline? Yeah. So I think at the at the most fundamental level, when we built our business plan, there was essentially no Southwest of the Northeast. Right. So Southwest was out in the Southwest. That's where they were doing most of their operating. So the kind of the original uh, high productivity, high frequency, low cost kind of airline. Um, but there wasn't such a thing up in the northeastern U.S. And of course, two thirds of the U.S. population live in the eastern third of the country. And so Southwest hadn't really branched out that much into the northeast. And so we, you know, we looked at what U.S. Airways and American and Delta were charging to fly up and down the East Coast. And it just seemed like a really good opportunity to create basically a cooler, chicer version of Southwest in the northeast. That was basically our business plan. That's awesome. And it was sleek. The brand was great. And the brand yep. continues to be really premium. I yep. I love the look and feel of JetBlue. It's an awesome company. I love flying on it. Um, so it's incredible. You found your way into that business. You know, it's just, you know, serendipity. I also have a brother who's in the business world. I think it would be so cool to team up at some point. You know, you always hope that an opportunity like that comes about. So, you know, I have a lot of uh, admiration for airline entrepreneurs or, you know, vehicle entrepreneurs. My dad's trying to do something with cars and, you know, anybody who tries to put together something so complex, it's just like the hardest business of margins. So it's just, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. Um, so your, your focus as JetBlue was getting started, was it on culture and training? Yep. Okay. Yes, that's where I started. So I was our, uh, uh, you know, one of the first uh, couple of pilots there. We had two, a couple of the founding members were, uh, were pilots. So you were flying uh, planes too? Yes. Well, that's a difference from the fighter jets. Yeah. So, uh, so it was, uh, well, they're, they're, they're bigger, but they're slower and they're, they're pretty easy to move around. So, uh, so yeah, so I was, uh, our senior pilot, um, as we got the company going and, uh, and as a flight instructor, it was only natural for me to take over the, the pilot training or to create the pilot training program for JetBlue. It's one of the, you know, as you think about any business and you try to identify those, the, the key milestones, 
milestones that have to come earliest in the creation of the business. You know, pilot training is a really long process. So that was one of the first things we needed to get in place was, well, we need a pilot training program and a mechanic training program and a flight attendant training program. So that's really what I did as we got the company going was create all those training programs. Um, and so, uh, so it was uh, it was super cool to to learn how to train all of our pilots as someone that had never flown a commercial airplane. So I had to go get my own certification wow. on the airplane and then build a training program for that airplane, uh, which, uh, you know, I started with the program that the the kind of nuts and bolts program that uh, Airbus already had put together. And we just amped it up and made it very JetBlue and, you know, figured out how to incorporate things like uh, an electronic cockpit, which had never existed in the industry before JetBlue showed up. Everything was on paper. And so we built the first paperless cockpit in the industry, largely because that was the direction the military was going, right? Let's go to less paper, more technology, more, you know, integration of, of computers. And that's what we did. So, yeah, so we got started in uh, pilot training and then ended up running operations and maintenance as well as the, the learning function. So I got to see the intersection. One of my favorites, not not because it was fun, but my, my kind of most rewarding stories that I like to tell about my time at JetBlue is at the time that the FAA closed airspace uh, around the United States. So it was just a couple of hours after the second airplane hit the second tower, and it became clear that we had this large scale um you know, uh, an attack, you know, terrorist attack going on. We had 17 airplanes in the air. And so the FAA said, you know, all airplanes, you must land now at the closest available airport, right? So we had 17 airplanes. We needed to figure out where they were going. And the, what we did in our command center is that while those airplanes were in the process of landing, so they had to land within, you know, a half hour of wherever they were in the sky at the time, by the time all those airplanes landed, we had already figured out where they were landing, um, how to get buses to take people from those airports to hotel rooms, because we didn't know how long they were going to be at the hotels. We had hotel reservations for every one of our customers and crew that were on those 17 airplanes. Uh, we had already reached out to the contact information for all of our customers and crews to let their emergency contact people know that we... We can't tell them what airport they're going to, but we can tell them that they will receive a call from their loved one or significant other, you know, at around this time. So we did some really cool work preparing to take care of all of our customers and crew members wow. in that really short period of time, which was just our really our first opportunity to walk the talk of what JetBlue said it was going to be all about as a company. And as a military man, I mean, you this is what you were expecting. Like you were this is what you were trained to do to operate in crisis. Uh, it's awesome. Let's talk about some of the principles you've learned throughout your career, which I assume you echo in your upcoming book. Uh, I do. I love the I love the cover of, of of the book. High stakes leadership in turbulent times. It looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really it is a guide for any leader at any level. So you know, and even if your only leadership experience is leading yourself, it is a way to think about 
not just how to prepare for and navigate a crisis, um, but uh, the subtitle of the, of the book is Why Stakeholders Are Your Greatest Assets in Good Times and in Bad. And so the, the real, the thrust of the book is you are in business not just for yourself, but to serve the interests of other stakeholders, whether they're financial stakeholders, whether they're customers, whether they're employees, whether they're regulators or media. So the, the thrust is really, if you're going to run an effective business, you need to know what those people want out of their relationship with you. And in a crisis, it's that relationship, that value proposition that is threatened by the crisis. And so the better business person you are, the better prepared you are for crisis. That's the thrust of the book. So I, so I talk people through how to, to think about that. Um, and what I tell folks is that what I really think makes the difference between good businesses and great businesses is what I refer to as just discretionary effort. And I think that same thing applies to the military as it does to the business world is the best units whether commercial or military, are the ones where everyone in the unit is aligned around what we're trying to accomplish and believes so much in the team and the mission is that they're willing to give that extra one, two, three percent to get it done. And you've been in places where you've seen that extra, the people is everybody can't wait to give the extra two or three percent. And you've been in organizations where nobody is doing anything extra. And I really think that's the difference maker. And I, I think that it comes down to really good leadership. So I suggest to any of your viewers or listeners that if they ever find themselves in a JetBlue terminal or in a JetBlue gate area, especially our kind of the signature terminal at JFK Airport in New York, you will not find like scraps of paper on the floor of the terminal because every single crew member at JetBlue goes out of their way to make sure that there's nothing on the floor. That's not something you can order them to do. That's not how something you feel, write into the. How does it feel to go through the airport now? I mean, if you have during COVID or at least before and see the foundation you laid and see that continuing on. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I'm just a proud, you know, parent, uh, you know, because you see the vision that you had for creating something that didn't previously exist in the, you know, in the business, that kind of commitment to stakeholders like I cover in my book. And there are quite a few JetBlue stories in the book, as you would imagine, uh, from the jet, very JetBlue looking cover uh, of the book. Um, awesome. Final question. What is your number one piece of career advice to a young person who's about to launch their career right now? Uh, to not be afraid to uh, experiment and take some risks. Um, when I, when my dad was growing up, uh, the, the your focus was you better find the right place to work because you're going to work there for 45 years. When I was growing up. Um, I kind of thought that I might have a couple of jobs through my career. I'm now in career number four, and every one of them has been exceptionally different and rewarding. Uh, what we tell our students at Michigan now is you can expect that you will have 8, 10, 12 careers in your life. So go do something that you're really excited about, that, uh, that you're passionate about, that you can achieve some of your goals, whether your early goals are make a lot of money or do a lot of good or have a lot of impact, whatever that is. Don't be afraid to commit yourself to that for a period of time because you're going to have seven, eight, 
nine, 10 more chances to reinvent your career. So go experiment, take some risks and have some fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Mike Barger, co-founder of JetBlue Airways, sharing some incredible lessons about business and life from his wild career spanning military and civilian life. Hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure to check out Mike's new book at the link in bio. And as always, I'll be with you guys on Wednesday. Stay frosty.